This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. All right, so the last time we had fog like this, as I go into the archive, It was the Super Bowl 2015. And the reason I bring that up, Danny Sarek and Darren Urban, is because hopefully we can cross this off the list as potential challenges to Super Bowl 57 when it comes to the AZ in February. Because there's no way we're going to get fog like this twice in like four months, right? Help me out here. Okay, I'm confused real quick. Uh, once again, you're talking about the the the, the fog this morning that we all the saw. Seahawks Patriots Super Bowl that yes. was last year. There was fog then. There was fog. For I like remember a lot three of rain days there. during the game week leading up to it. It you was like, crazy. You don't like fog. fog? It does remind me of my days in Medford, Oregon, but we won't talk about that. I like fog. Or the just saying. Or, I think you know. I'm indifferent. I didn't know people really felt a certain way about it. Well, maybe you need to get on board here. Okay, that's how we're going to start the podcast, coming off the bye week, Darren? Well, Danny, just wait wait till you schedule an escape to San Diego to escape the Arizona heat, and you make the mistake of doing it in early June, thinking you're safe, but all there is is fog along the San Diego coast. Then you won't be so happy. To be fair, my family and I went to San Diego in March a couple years ago, maybe, and it was rainy and crappy, too, so... Thank you, Darren. Is there a good time yeah. for San Diego? Well, sure there is. Whenever it's 110 plus here, any that's always a good time. Yeah, but you, you just me? said like June, it's 110. Yeah. Well, you got to deal with it, but you know, it's... Uh, it's better look, than 110. Yeah. So there you go. I'm just uh, skirting around the obvious issues here coming out of the bye week. Whose bye weekend can I live vicariously through? Danny, do tell. What would you do that was uh, noteworthy, newsworthy? Well, now I can be honest about it because I unfortunately had to lie on air to Craig Raylou last week when he asked if I was doing anything for the bye weekend because... Craig, cover your ears. You don't need to know this. Because I ended up going home to surprise my dad. He had a pretty big birthday last week, Mm. but my dad is very supportive. He's an avid listener of the podcast, so I didn't want to spoil the surprise by saying I was going home. However, I did go to Dallas over the weekend, celebrate his birthday, get to see a lot of family, some friends. It was really nice. All right. Darren, come on now. What would you have planned? You you work ahead. I know you do. So you'd had your bye weekend planned for a long time. Oh, yeah. My bye weekend was super planned. I went to some high school basketball. uh, (laughs) I went to uh, a concert that my wife wanted to go to. And I worked on the mailbag. Boo. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it needed to get done. So. Well, I took one for the team uh, several weeks earlier. I went to a Bruno Mars cover band with my wife, so that was entirely enough. So I figured, you know, I didn't have to make that sacrifice again over the bye weekend, right? That was enough. I mean, come on. I checked that box for a good few months, didn't I? Please? I, I am not putting I'm not putting myself in the middle on that one. <laughs> no. Okay. So you're coming out of the bye week, and, and let's be honest, um, it has been a challenge for the Cardinals. Well, the first two years under Cliff Kingsbury, last year not so much. They went to Chicago and got a big win. A physical win. In fact, there was some fog in Chicago a there year was. ago, no yeah. doubt. So there's a parallel. That's our segue. 
But coming out of the bye, uh, how worried are you? I mean, you know, do you get a little concerned as to what you may or may not see, especially when you have an extra day being Monday night football? Sometimes uh, I do worry about how sluggish they might look. Are they still regular season ready? You know, what do they look like coming out of the bye? Because in 2019, 2020, it wasn't pretty. I'll be honest. I don't know if worried is the right phrase at this point in the season, Paul. I mean, I think because <laughs> there are far more things that are front I mean, burner. There's other saying? things you got to worry about in the power pole of concerns. That doesn't even make others receiving votes. Is that I what you're mean, saying? I mean, I I would hope that the Cardinals come to play after what they went through with the Chargers, but I mean, there, there's certainly no pressure. I wouldn't think. Well, here's the other thing. The Patriots played three games in 12 days, and now they'll be going into this Cardinals game on Monday night having 11 days to rest up and hit the reset button for a Patriots team that is 6-6 six and six and still still feasibly in the AFC wild card race, at least with five games to go. At least they think they are, and you know the head coach is telling them they are. And the last time you played the Patriots 2020, that was a poignant reminder they're not going to beat themselves even with poor quarterbacking and Cam Newton, no matter how Cam Newton tried to lose that game, they're so well coached and buttoned up that they're still going to find a way, and they did on that day, 2020. It's just it's interesting coming off the bye what, what you will expect from the Cardinals and, and what they're going to go up against with the Patriots who have had that extra time before Monday night's game. I'm kind of with Darren on this one of what you're expecting to see of to me, it's not so much like the physical aspect, but just the mental side of things from here on out through the rest of the season of what this team is going to be working through being where they are right now in the season. And, and that's the hard part is having that desire to fight, you know, especially coming off the bye week when they're obviously still working out. They're still doing things to stay in shape. It's just one week. But it will be interesting to see that mindset. And, and if they do what they've done for most of the games this year, which is fight till the end. I do like the fact it's on national television and they know it's on national television. It's it's different than if it was a two o'clock kickoff on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, everybody's going to be watching. They know everybody's going to be watching. That tends to ratchet things up. Although the last time the Cardinals played the Patriots on national television at State Farm Stadium, it did not go exactly how the Cardinals would have wanted. And that kind of was a... a uh, harbinger of things to come in 2016 I was gonna say that was a season opener 2016 right yeah. Jimmy G Jimmy G and 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 a, and a Cardinals team that was picked by Sports Illustrated to win the Super Bowl and just Brandon Williams getting burned deep and missed field goal by Chandler yep. Canton zero yep. and oh boy and BA spent the rest of that year citing week one yeah which none of the fans bought, let's be honest, because you're like, come on, no, was a lot. it's, it's one game out of 16. You can't overcome a week one loss. Come on now. Well, and that's funny. It's like people have talked about, is this the most disappointing season you've been around for the Cardinals? I'm like, no. I mean, there there was expectations this year, but just just going back to 2016, that was that was a team that ended up with a losing record, and they might end up with a better record than this year's version, but that team people thought were going to go to the Super Bowl and, and – didn't was never really in the playoff hunt. Dare I say there there might be a big parallel between that 2016 and this year's team, and, and this might be a future story, Darren Calvisi Consulting. I'm gonna, writing it down as we speak. In fact, Paul. you know what? Let me type this into a, a mailbag submission. Here we go. Here's my question: Do you think that the 2016 squad coming off the 2015 NFC Championship, and with high hopes and expectations, and legitimately so, 
said, you know what, maybe we're just going to ease our way into this regular season because what really matters is the postseason. Then all of a sudden things got sideways and started to snowball the wrong way, and they never made it to the postseason. Do you think maybe just maybe this year's team said, you know, nobody's given out any awards for starting 7-0, 10-2. Look what happened in December and January of 2021. We're going to make sure we're poised and good and ready to ball out when it gets to November, December, and beyond. Except this team, when it got to that point, guess what? They're 4-8, and eight, and December is here, and they're no longer in the playoff picture to even contend for. What would you do differently, though, if that's the the thought of last year they had such a hot start and fell apart at the Ooh. end? Ooh, my arms is, that, is, that, is that just mentally of coming off a loss? Okay, I pick on you, Paul. I think Paul has to... Training camp. It'd be a different training camp. You think that, if, that's if, it? If you had to do this year all over again, it would be a much more strenuous and that. demanding and challenging training camp. And then hopefully that would set the tone. Hopefully that would do enough. Maybe even maybe that... The bodies would be calloused enough, football-ready enough going into a regular season where you don't lead the league in number of different players who have seen action. 77 and counting, right? Well, Does that have a correlation? I see, the old-school coaches will say yes. Of course they do because they think everything is right old-school. Right. Like there was never any injuries yeah. back then or something Two-a-days like that. Two-a-days and let's hit the sled all the way to the meal room. Um, I don't know how different training camp changes the fact that your best offensive player was going to miss six games. I don't know. I don't know if it changes the impact COVID had on your quarterback. And and even if you play a tougher training camp, they're probably none of those guys are playing preseason games. Probably. I mean, you. I guess you could say you could change that too. I mean, to me, I'm fascinated. I mean, if we're gonna. I don't know. We're obviously going to talk about what happens these final five weeks and and kind of figure out some things here. But it is going to be interesting to see how this team approaches training camp in the preseason next year. I mean, if you want to use that. Or the Rams. Hey, if you want to draw another parallel to 2016, look at week one. And you had a – I mean, if you talk about a week one setting the tone, Kansas City came out, scored in their first three possessions, touchdown drives in their first three possessions. Pretty apparent right from the moment that game started that one team in spent August playing a lot of their starters, a lot of snaps in preseason games, including Patrick Mahomes, and one team that had not. There was a compare and contrast between one team that seemingly uh, was regular season ready and the other one wasn't. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that training camp probably could have been handled differently in hindsight and probably will in the future. But if we're talking about being more, I guess, lax about the start of the season and, and how you're playing or if you're losing a couple games because you want to have that stretch later on in the season, I don't know what teams and coaches would do differently if they felt like there was a difference in those philosophies is, is what I'm saying. Is that how you handle coming off a loss? Is that how you – I don't know what would be done differently. I, I, I think – I don't think it's the. I don't think it's as simple as that. I don't think it's simple of whether. I mean, the Rams are terrible this year, and they did the exact same thing in training camp as they did the year before. The Cardinals had a great start last year with basically the same kind of training camp and preseason approach as they did this year. I mean, what what happens is is all we're doing is hindsight. Now, I'm not going to lie. I know there were people at the time, especially with the way the Cardinals finished last year, and said why. Why are they approaching it this way? And I can't, I guess I kind of get it. But then again, the argument is we did it this way last year and we were 10 and 2. So I, I, I just, I, 
I think the quarterback has to play better. I think you do need healthier players. I think you do need your best wide receiver for the entire season. I do think um, you you need to execute at a higher level overall. Um, I think there's lots of things that go into it that have have made this season the way it is. And and I, I just I and I'm not saying you're doing this because you were saying the first thing I would do. So that indicates there's other stuff. But I I just think it's naive to think that it's it's any one thing. I don't think it's any one thing. But to get back to your original point, to come full circle, you're right. Monday Night Football might be the element that holds everyone accountable, might be that motivator. In particular, Troy Aikman. I was going to say Troy Aikman. I mean, ask Antonio Hamilton about the wrath of Troy Aikman. So if you're out there and you're dogging it, and you you don't want to put that film out there, A, for your team or other teams in the offseason, depending on your contract status, and B, for Troy Aikman to open up a can on international TV citing you as not playing hard and finishing a play. This could be a redemption Monday night game for the Cardinals coming off that game in Mexico City against the 49ers. Maybe Troy Aikman will be to this team what uh, Chris Collinsworth was to the 2008 team, right? Of course, Chris Collinsworth said it was the worst playoff team in the history of playoff football, and the Cardinals rode that all the way to Super Bowl 43. But maybe a little Ken bit. Ken on still remembers. Yes, a little bit. Maybe they use this as, uh, hey, Troy Aikman, we got your effort right here, pal. And they come out and they ball out against the New England Patriots. So maybe, just maybe, we'll see. We'll see if his name comes up during this uh, game week, getting ready for the Patriots. I will say that we just did Cliff Kingsbury's TV show, and – there's nothing that will get a head coach's attention like going against Bill Belichick, especially when you played for Coach Belichick. And you know, let's just say he's detail-oriented. So he did half-joke, gallows humor, that, yeah, this matchup can make some of the coaches sweat a little extra when you're going against Belichick. There's no question. And he's had 11 days to get ready for your game, coming off a stretch of 3 and 12 days for the Patriots. So Yeah, but this the Cardinals have had what f- will have 14 days to get right. ready for the Patriots. You're so right. so uh we'll see what it's all about. All I know is the last we saw the Patriots, it was on Thursday night football. Here's another parallel. Did I not see their quarterback yelling and using some expletives caught on camera on a national TV game on the sideline? Oh, isn't that interesting, Mac Jones? You know, it's not you're saying it's not just Kyler Murray? Correct. Interesting. Mm. Because I, that was it was funny seeing all that, right? Because if I remember the quote, reading the lips, it was um, uh, can't run the ball, yeah, right? Stop running the bleeping football. The running game stinks. Let's throw the stinking football. Some people said it was like run that. game. Some people said it was quick game. Okay. I saw it as the run game sucks. Uh, you were just focused on the f word. I'm sure. Okay, Darren, mm-hmm. if you say so. So there's Max. Let me ask you this though. I mean, look, we're early in this game week here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation. But what are the odds that Coach Belichick stands for that? Coach Belichick usually has a zero-tolerance policy of players yelling at his assistant coaches. Does he, though? Doesn't he? I mean, isn't there a precedent of him coming down pretty hard on, on players that show that sort of uh, I'm just curious when, disrespect when that to coaches? Happened. When did that happen? I, Come I, with the receipts, Paul. I, That's I've, what Darren's saying. I've seen Tom Brady yell at a lot of different people, yeah. players and coaches on the yeah. sideline. I don't ever remember. Maybe that was just because it was Tom Brady? Well, maybe. But, I mean, 
I, I mean, well, there's a famous story the wolf tells, but this is from eons and ages ago oh, where geez. Bernie Kosar disrespected Bill Belichick, and First then he got all, caught within two weeks. Ber- I was obvious Bill Belichick hated Bernie Kosar, didn't we? Didn't we? Don't we know all this? Or I don't know. Yeah. Uh, by the way, one of the best things that happened over the last two years for yours truly on the road was we went to dinner with Bernie Kosar, and uh, that was. That was a great dinner. One, because Bernie actually talked more than Wolf. I'd have to endure Wolf stories, but Bernie Kosar's stories were unbelievable. So uh, I was just, that was like a spectator sport, that dinner. Bernie truly is the czar of Cleveland. The number of yes. people who came over to his corner table in that Italian restaurant, and literally, I mean, the respect people show towards Bernie Kosar in that town still remarkable. Can we back up for a minute, though? Yeah. So Wolf believes that... Bernie Kosar got cut because he was disrespectful to Belichick? Yes. Hmm. Now, was Belichick just waiting for an opportunity back in the day, to your point? Why was it? Was he disrespectful because he was getting it was, benched? It was behind the scenes. It was in a team oh, meeting. Yeah. And, yeah, Bernie said something he shouldn't have to the coach. And he said in front of the whole team room. Marcus bagley So, yeah, exactly. So you left the head coach maybe with no choice. Uh, to maintain his credibility in the room. Perhaps that was the case. I don't know. Well, that's me well, adding him a little bit to the story. Fast forwarding, I mean, the the Patriots, the, the Patriots, I mean, from what I've seen of them this year, they've got a, a relatively solid defense, not a great defense, but they don't have an offense that can necessarily carry no. them. Mac Jones has been kind of up and down. Um, he got skewered after the game, by the way, by the panel. Richard Sherman and Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. and Andrew Whitworth they said he was indecisive, he was inaccurate, he didn't look comfortable against the Bills. I'm sure the Cardinals will take all that. <laughs> you know, uh, he, he's got a defensive coordinator calling his offense and Matt Patricia. Well, that's, yeah. But you're right. I mean, the formula has been you score more than 17 points and you beat the New England Patriots. Because their offense has been struggling. <laughs> so apparently we're going to talk about that two weeks in a row because that'll be the Broncos underground as well. But yeah, that's anyways. right. You're darn tooting on that one. But that's that's not, that's not later. That's next week. I mean, think about it. The Cardinals' schedule down the stretch is not that tough at all. And think about the rest of the division right now in the state of the quarterback position, right? I mean, do any of those teams have more than five wins? Oh, the, Patriots the, the have Cardinals six. Play? Yeah. Cardinal, uh, yeah, Patriots have six. I think the Bucks, Bucks are at five. Yes, but depending on when somebody listens to this because they play Monday Night Football. Okay, true. So down the stretch the Cardinals come, and regrettably, unfortunately for all Cardinals fans and for the team itself, there is nothing realistic to play for when you have a very forgiving schedule and you have a state of the division that is just – it's chaos right now. When the 49ers are on Brock Purdy – when the Rams, you've already played the Rams twice, but look at the state of their quarterback position. And then Geno Smith engineered his first fourth quarter comeback since 2014, but they have other issues. The defense is back to being a bit of a liability. Ken Walker, the running back, is injured. I mean, I mean, you have you have two more wins. You're you're at the top of the division. Oh, you're right there with Seattle. If you're oh, like the Cardinals, right? The Lions are five and seven, and they're considered a playoff contender right now. The the Lions, by the way, are favored over the Vikings this weekend. No way. No point and a half. Right wow, now. that's the ultimate disrespect of a ten and two Vikings team. Although well, their two losses what, have been Patrick would have blowout losses, right? Against the uh, Eagles and, and the Cowboys, the two uh, best teams in, in the NFC right now. So I guess that's why there's no believers in the Vikings. But yeah, that's where the NFC West stands right now. So 
Look, that's the big lament. There's no doubt about it. This team right here, right now, at 4-8, and eight, if only if only they would have finished a couple more games, including the Chargers game. What is your big lament from that game? The last three or four possessions where you could have closed out the game. And a win right there would have had a much different outlook, at least – at least for this week, it would have been a much different outlook. Yeah, it's it's definitely different when you go into the bye with a win and you, you're riding that high and, and to have the loss. And, you know, even if players say, you know, yeah, we have the extra week, it's not going to sit on us any longer. I don't know how much I believe that. I would think if you have that extra week, you're you're thinking about that last game. If you're watching football, if you're, you know, starting to look at that the film from that last game to look ahead now to the Patriots. Like, it, it sits on you. And the way that they lost, I can't imagine that sat very well. No. And and there's so many things that are going into it is not only did they end up losing how they lost, but now you start thinking, OK, how many of these guys are thinking about, OK, I've got to make sure that I have some good stuff on tape. Stay healthy. Well, stay healthy. At least the good thing on tape would necessarily should benefit the team going forward. If you're worried about staying healthy, that can obviously backfire in terms of these yeah. last five games. And I, I don't know. It's it's. I, I'm kind of glad they're playing the Patriots because it's it's something a little different. It gets them out of a comfort zone. It's not some random game against the Lions or the Panthers that yep. can really you know again the the big the stage the opponent. Um, I mean, in fact, the, they've got two home games left and against the the Buccaneers and the Patriots. I mean, on national television both times. Well, look, there are certain things with five games to go that you need to emphasize, that you're hoping materialize down the stretch. And is anybody going to argue with you want to see Kyler Murray, Pro Bowl Kyler Murray? Is there anything more important than seeing the Kyler Murray who regains his touchdown field on the deep ball? Gets back to being one of the leading QBs in the NFL when it comes to accuracy because we just saw a Chargers game where he missed Hollywood Brown down that right sideline twice and other throws that could have been there and weren't including the interception on fourth down to D-Hop, obviously could have put a little more air under that. So what has been going on with Kyler Murray, and what can you do to get him right? Because does momentum carry over from one season to the next? Absolutely not. There's too much turnover, but if you're talking about your franchise quarterback and getting him right, yeah, that's something that has staying power. Momentum might not carry over season to season, but I believe that confidence does. And I think that Kyler Murray runs pretty high on that confidence. And I'm not saying as in a cocky person. I'm saying as the confidence of knowing that he can do it and he can make those throws. And that's been challenging this year. And I don't know if that there's been a sort of mental block that's been preventing those big, big time chunk play accurate throws that we haven't seen from him this year. And I think that's important as your leader, as your franchise quarterback, that you are leading the charge to finish this season strong, that you are proving you know, that you can still put these plays together, that you are still elevating your skill players that are out there, elevating your receivers and leading them in positions to be successful. Absolutely, I think that a lot of this moving forward on how this team finishes the year does, whether that's fair or not, it, it comes down on Kyler Murray's shoulders and not just his play on the field, but how he's leading that team in the locker room. The question to me is, and you got five games, so there's a lot of opportunity there besides just this upcoming game, but... I don't know if going against Bill Belichick and the Patriots is that game that's a get-healthy kind of game because he can make things tough, especially, as you said, when he's got this much time to plan against a guy like Kyler Murray. Usually that ends up in Bill Belichick's you know, checkbox in terms of like who gets the advantage. And, and 
I'm really curious about it. But I, I agree with Danny. I think that I agree that momentum isn't a thing over season, but confidence can be. And, you know, every player is going to talk a good game. But at some point, you, you've got to pause sometimes and say, okay, where am I right now? And, and how is this season going to end? And, and I do think it's super important for him to have a, a very good end to this season. I, I do think that having this might upset people hearing this. I, I do think that you can look and see as a whole having a season like this, maybe as an individual I'm not going to say it can be good because I don't think it's good, but I think it can provide learning opportunities that constantly having overly successful seasons and having 10, 11 wins year after year after year, you learn different things by having a year where you go where you're right now, you're at four and eight. Why would people be upset? Because oh, I, I don't want it to be taken as like, hey, look, maybe having a season like this can be a good lining. thing. Well, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but I think yeah. that there are opportunities to learn new things about yourself as an individual or a player or how you can step up as a leader. Even if you're, you know, not everyone on that team can be the leader, but how can you be a better team player? And I think that this is going to pose a lot of opportunities for this team to grow, and I think that starts with how you finish these last five games. I would, I would agree. I, I would say to the point about it being a good season. Uh, to me, it's one of those. They're already four and eight, so try and take something good out of it that you can. And every maybe, team goes through. Yeah, this. maybe not say ahead of time. Well, before the season starts, maybe it'd be good if if this team had a bad year, so they'd learn some things. Uh, no one's no. going to do that. No, but. If we're as long as this team's already where it is, you might as well pull something good out of it. I agree with that because what the the other option is to be just completely negative about it, which you can be. And if you're a fan, trust me, there's plenty of fans that feel that way. But I mean, I I would prefer to try and which is surprising because I'm a pretty glass half empty kind of guy. I well, can I can see too when you have so much carryover of they played so well last year. What changes year? I mean, look at the Rams. Like the the Cardinals aren't the only team experiencing what feels like a huge yeah. setback this year. Sure, Packers. Yeah, there's just plenty. I, I get it, and, and you're right. You know, there there should be benefit in what has really been a reality check. That that's what this season has become. So there's losing games, and then if you lose your opportunity to learn from a losing season. Well, now you've lost twice. You better figure it out because there's either a big reason or a million reasons why. You that was better, deep, Paul. Right? You better diagnose why. No, I'm following up on your comment. I like that. Momentum doesn't carry over, but confidence does. Because you know what else I think of is that recent anecdote from a sideline reporter on CBS, and I cannot oh, pronounce her name. I was going to talk about you. Okay, me. but but all all the the sideline reporters, I think we all agree, bring the best information and content week week in and week <laughs> out. And this CBS sideline reporter told this story of Mike McDaniel of the Dolphins. You know what he did with two in the offseason? He put together a highlight reel of 700 of his best throws. I think from like all levels, Alabama, NFL, even there was high school film in there. They just went out and they scoured the internet. They grabbed 700 of the best plays to ever made, and they gave him this reel. And they said, here's your offseason homework assignment. I want you to watch yourself at your best. And, and, and two of the way he told it to the sideline reporter, apparently, leading into that game, that did wonders for his confidence. Because being in that environment, coaching change, hearing all the boos and the criticism from Dolphins fans and beyond, yeah, he's human. He started to question whether maybe he'd lost something along the way. He said, no, no, I still got this. 
Now, did he play a great game against the 49ers? Absolutely not. He missed receivers all over the yard. I don't know what was going on in that 49ers game. Well, it's it's funny you bring that up when we're talking about left-handed quarterbacks because you know who I think of in something like that? Matt Leiner. Wow. Now, was Matt Leiner ever going to be good? I don't know. But when you look at how people talk about Matt Leiner and how people talk about Tua, there's a lot of the similar kinds of things in terms of arm strength and all that stuff. And I wonder sometimes, had he had a guy like Mike McDaniel – doing 700 cut-ups of his best plays rather than Ken Wisenhunt, who, in his belief, he was a big, you know, everybody's accountable and I don't want to hear it. And he, in a lot of ways, treated the starting quarterback the same way he'd treat the backup middle linebacker. And I I believe Matt Leiner was somebody who needed a pat on the butt. Because did Matt Leiner come out of USC ultra-confident? Yes, he did. Say yes. And he played like it when he first showed up. He did. I mean, the 400-yard passing game against the Vikings yes. his rookie year, that was some sort Those of rookie record. Those first two starts against the Chiefs and the, and the Monday night meltdown against the Bears, what gets yeah. lost is Matt Leinart played two really good games, and they did not lose because of him. Look at the before and after. Look at Leinart as a rookie, and then look at Captain Checkdown, his final few games with the Cardinals. Two totally different players. Yes. So whether it was a combination of Wisenhunt, and I think you're absolutely correct, whether it was also a matter of him watching – the ability of Kurt Warner well, to that, yeah. diagnose a defense and find his third and fourth read instantly. And then he just lost his confidence watching the way Maybe. Kurt could dissect a defense. <laughs> and he realized, oh boy, I'm not seeing the field like Kurt Warner is. And I, I think that undermines some of his confidence. I could see that along the way. But yeah, that goes a long way. So if Kyler Murray can be that guy, because nobody, nope, at least I haven't heard anybody, you guys tell me has a rational, feasible explanation as to what happened to the Cardinals' downfield passing game. To me, if there's one thing they can recapture five games to go, and now they finally have the personnel to do it, get D-Hop and Hollywood Brown and company, if you can get Rondell Moore back healthy, get these guys involved. Chunk throws down the field. I'd throw the chunk throw just for the sake of throwing the chunk throw. Now that the win-losses aren't ultra-important anymore, I'd treat December like August in some ways. See if you can regain traction. And, and start really building that chemistry because you haven't had a lot of opportunities having the three of them out on the field together so that when Zach Ertz comes back next season, all you got to do is plop him in. I think that's important too is you haven't had all of your receivers together, so what can you create now with those three in Hopkins, Brown, and more to carry over into next season? And hey, speaking of confidence, what about Trey McBride? Get some confidence in Trey McBride. What did Cliff say after the Chargers game? Yeah, they're... It was nice having Hop in Hollywood. It would have been really nice to have Zach Ertz working the seams. Guess what? Trey McBride, hello. Your time, bud. You're a second-round rookie, and it's December. It's your time to make those plays that we all see in practice. Am I the only one? You watch him catch the ball so effortlessly in, in practice. A lot better than I just said the word effortlessly, right? Well, I mean, he, he, let's, he's let's out make there. It clear he's too. not fighting the football. It's, no. He's a natural pass catcher in practice. But when we're when you say seeing him in practice, when we're watching him in practice, there's no defense. There, yeah, it's on air. You're right. On it's on air. You're right. We don't know what he's doing yeah. in practice, to be honest. That kind of practice. And I don't know. I I, I get the frustration with, with Trey McBride, um, and I understand why people are trying to figure out why he isn't doing better. Although, you know – some some guys are going to take a little bit longer and I don't think he you know he certainly wasn't expecting to be thrown into it quite the way he has been and I don't think they approached getting him in that position necessarily because they thought they were going to have Zach Ertz and all this stuff so 
I, you know, I, I think Trey McBride was supposed to be the number two tight end this year and have him block a little bit and, and have Zach Ertz make all the catches, and you're just in a different position right now. And that's the other thing. You expected to have Zach Ertz for the catching side of things, and at the beginning of the season, you expected Mac, Max Williams to be healthy enough to really work on that blocking. And so, yes, you probably expected Trey McBride to come in as that number two tight end, but I agree with you. I don't think there was anyone to have the expectation that he was going to be put in the role that he has now been put into at this point in the season. Other young players you want to see down the stretch. Uh, how about my Jay Sanders, correct? It was that 40, same 49ers game. I don't know how much you guys watch of that. Nick Bosa, his 14th and a half sack. <laughs> and I, I just shook my head. I'm like, you know, look. It's not that we're not that far removed from Chandler Jones putting up 17, 19 sacks in a season. But you're reminded how little production the Cardinals are getting from their edge rushers when the leading edge rusher on the Cardinals team this year has two. Yeah, you're right. Two sacks in my Jay Sanders because JJ Watt has six and a half, Zach Allen has four and a half. You know, these are interior defensive linemen. I mean, Cam Thomas, I think, has four, two. Anyway, but he's, these are more interior. The edge rushers is what's been lacking, obviously, among other things on this Cardinals team. And then when you see someone pile up those sort of numbers like a Nick Bosa, you just, it, okay, what would this Cardinals defense look like if it had that guy again? Well, it wouldn't have Kyler Murray because you would have drafted him. That's right. I mean, yeah. that's the thing is yeah. it, it's dangerous. I'm to, just talking you're right. someone the offense has to game plan for off the edge. Are. I just I don't want people yeah. to get lost in saying, yeah, Nick Bolt, well, he was the number two overall pick and could have been number one overall. And my Jay Sanders was 100. And, you know, I, I just I, I think that's obviously a place as we get to the end of this. I'm sure we'll start talking about what are needs in the offseason. And obviously, edge rusher is going to be one of them. But at the same time, we could probably come up with five positions that desperately could. If you said, hey, we're going to commit the first pick to this position, people would be like, oh, that's a good idea. There's more than just looking at sack numbers for how much pressure a defense is generating and how disruptive you are, but I do agree that most of that has come from the interior defensive linemen. The outside linebackers have, for the most part, been pretty quiet. Maje Sanders was inactive for, what, the first four or five games his yeah, rookie season. And, least, and now yeah. he's, you know, it's it's unfortunate because I think, especially after signing him to, I believe it was a one-year deal in the offseason with Marcus Golden, expects him to kind of make a little more noise as that veteran pass rusher that just hasn't been there. And with all due respect to, you know, the veterans like 44 or 45, Dennis Gardeck, you know, my Jay Sanders better get 80% of the snaps down the stretch. That's just me. No more of this. Oh, he played 19 snaps in this game, or he played 22 snaps in this game. And he's really a situational second and long, third and long pass rusher. no, Honestly, Calvisi Consulting over here says get that kid in the game every single down the rest of the way. This is, I, I that, don't, that's where it pays off next year. I don't have a problem with that. But I do find, and this is part of this is for me, is what I have to endure. You, you can't, you, you don't get to demand, I'm not saying you, now I'm talking about fans. Like, He's but, talking about you, Paul. Uh, Let's go. Here we go. You, you don't get to demand playing these rookies when they haven't been, probably for a reason. And then when they go out there and make a handful of mistakes and you get burned, and then everybody's like, why is he out there? Why he doesn't? Why is he not doing well? I mean, it, it, the, the McBride thing is, is one of those things. Everybody's like, why isn't McBride playing more? Why isn't he playing more? Well, now you're playing, and now you're seeing why he wasn't playing more. And everybody's like, well, why isn't he better? Well, you, you can't. You're either f- going to force feed him or you're not going to force they, feed him. They can't be satisfied, Darren. 
No. I, why are you reveling in this? I feel I'm like I'm not reveling, reveling in this. Let me ask you a question. And I don't know if there's an easy answer to this. but My frustration. Do the Cardinals need to get Isaiah Simmons right in the last five games? Because you can look at the box score, and he's tied for the team lead in tackles with eight. And an unbelievable sack that honestly could have, maybe should have been the game ender right there if the Cardinals offense can just seal the deal. At the same time, there's Isaiah Simmons at the end of the game, both the touchdown and the two-point conversion with his eyes in the wrong spot. There's Isaiah Simmons on the big, what, 33-yard touchdown catch and run to DeAndre Carter right before the half. And on hard knocks, you hear Zayvon Collins yell out, Zay. Okay, if indeed that was his assignment. It was a busted assignment by someone because DeAndre Carter was wide open. So do you need to get Isaiah Simmons right? Yes, on two counts. One is if we had heard from Vance Joseph at the start of the season how you were not necessarily going to build a defense around Isaiah Simmons, but a lot of what you were going to do was going to be based around the fact that you could place him anywhere on the field and that it was going to be difficult for an offense to know what he was going to be doing because he could play anywhere. He was a hybrid. Some might even call him Isaiah. Oh, my mic was off. That was my moment. That oh, was my moment was of my mic Why was off. off your mic? Isaiah. Paul, I set you up. Oh, that was you a really story. Just it's a story of my uh, season. There was the opportunity. the air in here. There was the opportunity to get more anyway. playing time and get a good grade from the coach, and I <sighs> blew it. I stinking blew it. Anyway. You need to be able to know if you are going to have that same mindset and that same goal next year, if you're going to have to adjust the way you are using him and the other parts of this defense. And the second reason I said yes, that you have to make sure you're getting Isaiah Simmons right these last five games. Isaiah. Hi. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Dang it. I'm it's a story of my life. All, all I know is what's the second reason? I would rather I would rather hear Dang some it. crinkling of papers or you taking a slug of water than you miss a chance to just jump right in the podcast, Paul. So don't be turning off your mic. Yeah, lesson learned. See, we all have things to learn over the last five games. Part two. Some are harder to learn than others. Similar to my point yeah. made about Kyler Murray and the confidence, <laughs> Isaiah Simmons strikes me mentally as the same type of player that it is important for him to end the season on that high note confidence-wise to remember this skill set that he has and that he was drafted as high as he was for a reason and that he's on this team for a reason. And he has had struggles this year. I mean, he was benched for the first time in his career. So that's another reason I think it is important that you get him right is not just so you know how you're going to base your defense next year, if it's going to be in a similar mindset or not, but also so you have this player who you expect to be one of your stars on defense having that confidence still. It's it's funny that you bring that up, uh, and we talk about what we've seen on Hard Knocks, and I know a lot of people feel some kind of way about that, um, but I did think in the last episode that there was an interesting uh, clip and I'm fairly certain it was from early in the season when Isaiah Simmons was sitting talking to Marcus Robertson the uh, defensive the secondary coach um, about and at one point Isaiah said something and I'm paraphrasing but he basically he looked he looked a little defeated during a practice and he's like what what do, what do I have to do what am I what what am I missing what am I and I, I there are times when I still feel like his play kind of reflects that a little bit. Like I, tr I truly believe there are times when Isaiah isn't quite sure why it's not working for him. And there's a frustration level going back to the confidence that you guys are talking about. Um, 
to, to not be there. And so when you say get him right, I'm curious to know what that looks like. Like, okay. is that? Well, and that's a great question, and I should elaborate a little bit. So the final soundbite in that sequence, and especially in that conversation with his position coach, Marcus Robertson, who really works with the safeties, which is interesting. That was the change to start this year. They yeah. took him out of the linebacker rooms, and they put him in with the safeties. And Isaiah Simmons will tell you, you know, he's been watching anything and everything that Buda Baker does. That's, that's the leader, obviously, on that side of the ball, and especially in that room. But what, what does Marcus Robertson tell him ultimately at the very end of that sequence? He says, you're a totally different player when you know what to do versus when you think you know what to do. So however you want to define that, he needs to be the former and not the latter. He needs to know what to do and just play free without thinking he knows what to do. And that leads to the mental errors or maybe the hesitation. To me, it's not totally unlike Hassan Reddick back in the day playing inside linebacker. Oh, you're, you're, that's a dangerous saying, power parallel look, you're drawing here. There, there's one thing in common, I say, and that is that all the athleticism in the world, akin to an Isaiah Simmons, a unicorn, but when he's playing that inside linebacker spot, Hassan Reddick, if there's just that moment of hesitation, mm-hmm. that moment where a false step to the left when the play's going to the right. You that's, mean like on the two-point conversion? Yes. Yeah. That's the similarity to me. So can you get him... You know, what is his best position? Do you ultimately have an answer to that? Because I asked this to Lorenzo Alexander, former Cardinals edge guy. I was on with Wolf and Zo on Friday. And I just said, do you need to Micah Parsons, Isaiah Simmons? Do you need to make him primarily a pass rusher? Yeah, they use Micah Parsons in a variety of different roles. But obviously, he's earning that next contract in his Pro Bowl status based on getting to the quarterback. Does that need to be Isaiah Simmons? And Lorenzo shut that down right away. He said, not the same body type. Not the same skill set. Might, you know, might be a good concept, but no, that, that wouldn't be feasible long term. I'm glad he said that because there's lots of fans who keep asking about that. And I So a guy who played the position shut me down immediately with that line. He would have shut you down anyways, but that, I understand what you're <laughs> yeah, saying. He shut me down the entire show, actually. He stole my milk money and gave me an atomic wedgie. But other than that, uh it was uh that I just thought I'd bring that up because that actually has relevance here yes. to what we're talking about. No, I, I you know, the the thing is, is you're you're, I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be done with Isaiah Simmons this this off season, and and that's why these five games are important, and that's why the question of getting him right is such a big deal. He's going to be going into his fourth year. You're going to have to make a decision on his fifth year option in May by May. So are you? Wow, I forgot about that. Are you going to, are you going to commit a fifth year of guaranteed money to him? which is going to be a, a fairly large amount of money, I yep. would think, pick, being picked eighth overall. Wow. Yeah, that's – no, that's – so it makes me wonder, okay, what did they see during the bye week when they self-scouted this defense and when they self-scouted the offense? To what degree can you expect change? You're no longer playing for a realistic shot of the postseason. So what does that mean? That gives you more of a free reign to make changes, experiment a little bit more. I did ask that question on Cliff Kingsbury's TV show this week. He did agree. There'll be some more experimentation. Obviously, he didn't elaborate. He didn't give us any classified info as to who or where that might happen. But I don't know. Here on Cardinals Underground, we welcome speculation, Danny. So go ahead. If you have any other thoughts as to where they might experiment on either side of the ball, any player on this roster. Um, I don't know. I have to think about that for a second. I got to be honest. I don't mean to be speaking out of turn here, but I've heard a lot of coaches say that over the years, not just Cliff Kingsbury, and usually it, 
it's nothing. It's usually they say, hey, we might do this or that, like talk vaguely. We make it. And then you watch the games. and You're like, yeah, there's really there's really not a whole lot different. There's not a whole lot different. You're going to get at this between injuries. I mean, what what options would you have? You're not benching the quarterback. You're you just got to the point where you might have your top three receivers together. We don't know what's happening with Rondale Moore. I mean, if, if your your starting cornerback is already out, you're already yeah, adjusting there. I mean, I don't know what you would potentially do. The only thing I can think of is going back to what you said before, which was, do you cut like Marcus Golden's time significantly and and play my J Sanders a ton more, uh, something like that? Okay, I suppose. But even that, that to me, that's nothing drastic or out of the box because that's just what you would do with five games left in your show. So I, I, again, I'm not trying to downplay anything Cliff is saying, and maybe I could be wrong, but when I look mentally over this depth chart on both sides of the ball, I think to myself, what could you possibly do that hasn't already been done? No, you're right. Like a Lasita Smith is your starting right yeah. guard going for, but yeah, nothing the, the, radical. Let's I can and I already tell you there's there's going to be people out there listening right now, and they're saying to their device that's listening to the podcast, "Well, wouldn't it be Cliff giving up the play calling, which I guess would qualify?" That's not going to happen. So I don't know if there is anything else. No, and with the state of this offensive line. You obviously don't want to do anything crazy and risk further injury to your quarterback, especially against a team like New England Patriots. If you're asking me what's my biggest concern going against Belichick and this team, thanks for asking, Danny. I would say a team that is top three in sacks. Matthew Judon and company in 55, Uche, I don't know. Any, those guys were dynamic on Thursday night football. And and when you have an offensive line that features Kel- – by the way, you want my new nickname for the offensive line as is it your currently mic on? stands? Is your mic on? Beach and the backups. It's like a 50s uh, you know, pop band. You know, Beach and the backups. That's my name for the offensive line right now. So you got Beach and the backups. That's a lot more normal than most of your nicknames That's are. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, so, you know, it's it's tough. It's been a long year. I've been beaten down myself. Well, if Rodney Hudson, there's a chance – I mean, is there actually a realistic chance he's able to come back this week? Well, um, and, and, and I will be. I will be. First of all, his his window off IR hasn't been opened yet. Okay. Now again. So there's that. You could you could do that and and activate him. I will stand by what I've thought all along, which is I do not anticipate Rodney Hudson playing again. That is pure speculation. I am not reporting that. I am not saying anybody's told me that. But I would be surprised if Rodney Hudson plays again. Will Hernandez, I think. Would, has a chance, and it's point. interesting they did not put cornerback Byron Murphy with a back on IR. Yeah. So is there? Yeah, I was gonna say, is there a chance you think he? I guess by this point in the season, with where you are, I, backs I just, are tricky. Uh, it's again, I think with the back and Byron Murphy, it's 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 week to week, and and I'm I wonder if on either side his contract situation is part of that. I mean, if he was in a similar spot as a DJ Humphreys, meaning under contract, long term, big money. Well, they have already shut him down. Do they still want some answers on Byron Murphy? Does Byron Murphy still want some more game film if he's not going to be an Arizona Cardinal? I mean, I have a no, hard time. Say that. I have a hard time believing they're they're walking away from Byron Murphy and or Zach Allen. I just don't think that. But uh, it is curious that they've yet to get a deal done with either party, isn't it? I would not disagree with you there. So what exactly? There are franchise tags out there, so yep. we'll see. Um, but 
look, um, you know, maybe there's who else is on in terms of defensive linemen that you want to get a look at? We talked about the edge rushers. I'm, I'm expecting Cam Thomas is going to play a lot of snaps. You traded for Tristan Hill from the Cowboys, former second Picked round pick. Picked him up on waivers. Or Picked did him. you trade him? I forget. Waivers. Waivers. It okay. Waivers. Yeah, you're right. It was waivers. And so, boom, former second round pick. I'm guessing that guy's going to get steady supplies. I mean, supplies, they, they've snaps. got a handful of guys that, you know, do you do you do you look at Tristan Hill some more? Do you look at um, uh, on on offense? Do you do you do you, have you seen enough from Cody Ford, or do you put Cody Ford back in the lineup? Definitely play be, him. Definitely, you would. I or would. Rashad yeah. Coward. Yep. I absolutely. Unless you've seen to the point where you're convinced you know what you have in him. Robbie Anderson. Now, Robbie Anderson has, has received a lot of snaps, at least enough to make an impact, and he hasn't. But is there something to just an ultra-slow learning curve? Well, again, no way. That's Robbie like Anderson's going to be a situation that if you decided you wanted him around next year, you're going to have to go to him and tell him he's got to take this big pay cut. So, I mean, he's already under contract, so it's just a question of whether he plays for what you want him to play for. Right. With you. To me, you're a veteran in this league. You've been here, I don't even know how many weeks at this point. To have him in simple, basic packages and the fact that he's had, what, two catches and only one of those has been for positive yardage is that, that, that to me, you can't put learning curve on that. That's two max three weeks if you're going to be playing every snap at that point. Well, look, the cold reality is that since starting 10 and 2 last year, the Cardinals have lost 13 out of 18. That's the cold reality. So. You got to see if you can affect some sort of change, significant change, down the stretch. Uh, otherwise, it's going to make the narrative and the noise that much worse in the off season. So we'll see. So is it safe to say that it will not be three straight years of the host team playing in the Super Bowl? That's a pretty big bummer. I think I'm feeling pretty safe for that. Which brings us back full circle to the fog where we started this no, that's true. Super Bowl discussion. So there you go. Just sitting in the fog. Yeah, fog. <laughs> you know what? Me, Danny, and Paul. That is. Uh, I it, would not want to be in the fog with anyone else. Well, and you want the fog to clear on this season, do you not? Isn't that an apt metaphor for where the Cardinals are right now? See, this what is exactly? Why, this is why you lead the charge on this, Paul. What exactly are we looking at? You have to wait for the fog to clear a little bit so we get some visibility. It's like, I'll give you my last story. And this is one of the other reasons I hate fog. My first job, Medford, Oregon, if you ever lived in the Rogue Valley, there's tons of fog. I don't know why in December. It is unbelievable. You can't see beyond the end of your front bumper. See, that's cool. Okay. It's not cool when the following happens. I do the Uh, 11 o'clock news, and I'm on the road at 1130. And you can't even see the exit signs. Oh, that's a problem. So now, okay, I'm used to driving this stretch of freeway at 65 miles an hour, and I know it's going to take me 15 minutes to get from work to my exit to get home. But how long does it take me when I'm doing 17 miles an hour? <laughs> and, and where's the exit sign? And am I anywhere close? Wait a minute, when did I leave? And how many miles per hour am I doing? And all of a sudden, it's like a ninth grade math equation. If I'm doing so many miles per hour for so many minutes, how far have I gone? And I should have looked at the odometer before I pulled out of the station parking lot. And it took me that night like an hour and a half to get home when it was a 20-minute ride because I had completely missed everything. And because you can't fair. see. That's a problem. Although bad, bad memories. I, I will say sometimes, like, uh, my first full-time job was in Flagstaff, and we moved there in the summer. And I, we found this cool apartment, my, my now wife and I, 
uh, but it was at the top of this giant hill, which in the summer, who cares? <laughs> That's right. But then when you're yeah. driving home after a night shift <laughs> with the paper on a Saturday night. I know where you're going with And this. it's one in the morning. Right. And it's snowy and icy. And you get to your hill to go home and there's like four cars at the bottom because they haven't been able to get up. And you're thinking, how am I going to get up? And then you come, you, you, because I've got a, I'm, I'm working a manual stick shift. I try and hit it hard because you also have to turn hard so you have enough speed. And I got it up just enough. And then I couldn't get to the, the one level because it would go up a little bit of level and then you had to go up again. And I started sliding back and oh, I look at my boy. rear view and there's somebody who is about to come on. And I'm like, oh God, get out of the way, get out of the way, get out of the way. Fortunately, they did. And I didn't hit anybody, but. It was it was horrible. I mean, that's not fog. Yeah. I can yeah. understand the yeah. fog, but yeah. well, fog's way better than snow and ice. It's the old rule, right? In the ice and snow, uh, easy on the brake, easy on the gas, except when you're going uphill or downhill. Because yeah, the second station I worked at in Kalamazoo was at the bottom of the hill, and it used to take me, I'm dead serious, four or five times around the block because you would skid past yes. the driveway to get into the station. You start to hit the brakes, and yes. your car would skid, and you couldn't even turn. And I'd walk in, and my nickname was California. They call me California. How could you live in California because of the earthquakes? Earthquakes! Earthquakes aren't nearly the danger that driving around in this stupid black ice That's is all why. the time. That's why I love living in Arizona, because you don't have earthquakes. You don't have tornadoes. You don't have hurricanes. You don't have whatever. You have heat. And That's you don't it. have to scrape heat off your windshield. No. Leave it there. Well, I actually do have one quick question. Uh, Sorry, no, we Paul, won't. As the TV's behind you right now showing Jimmy G's um, season-ending foot injury, I just, yes or no, quick question. When the Cardinals play the 49ers at the end of the season, is Baker Mayfield going to be their quarterback? No. It'll be Brock Purdy, local boy. Uh, let's just say uh, I will share this little tidbit. This is the bonus info and content uh, for Craig Grealu. Craig Grealu. <laughs> Craig Grealu content. I asked a couple of different personnel people about – whether you think Baker Mayfield's going to end up in the division. And they were very dubious on that based on his film that he's put out there this year. Yes, I had somebody uh, in the league that has watched all of his snaps this year, and they said, <laughs> I tweeted out after it was officially announced that now will he go to the 49ers, and somebody texted me and said, why would they want somebody who stinks so much at football? <laughs> yeah. Apparently, that's, so that's, that's, that's extremely real. And then, of course, he brings all the baggage and the high maintenance and everything else and the distractions. So but he also why? brings the fun commercials. Sure, sure. Exactly. It's fun when he's on someone else's roster. I like it when Paul's microphone's on. Yeah. So Once again, it's, it's like the Seinfeld episode where, where George tries to recreate the deal so he's going to have the zinger when he comes back. <laughs> right, if only we could recreate that maybe down the stretch here on Cardinals Underground I can jump in with Isaiah because obviously I missed, I'm like a stanza, I missed my chance. Jeez. The jerk store. Yeah, the jerk store, that's it, I missed it. <laughs> and that'll do it for this edition of Cardinals Underground.